0: Chapter three of Devlin the Barber by b l Fargin This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In an agony of horror and despair, he had flown from the printing office to my house. I cannot say whether he chose my house premeditatedly. It is likely that it was done without distinct intention, but it was a proof that he regarded my friendship as genuine, and that he knew he could depend upon my sympathy in times of trouble as indeed he could my heart bled as i gazed upon him the words issued with difficulty from his trembling lips his features were convulsed he shook like a man in an ague oh my lizzie he moaned my poor poor lizzie oh my child my child i took in regularly a penny daily newspaper and I had read it on this morning, but there was no mention in its columns of the dreadful occurrence, the discovery had been made too late for the first editions of the daily journals. Mr. Melladew's story being told, disjointedly, and in fragments which I had to piece together in order to arrive at an intelligible comprehension of it, the unhappy man sat before me, moaning. Oh, my Lizzie, my poor child! Was she at home? I asked gently, I did not attempt to console him. Of what avail were mere words at such a moment? Was she at home when you went from here last night? Yes, she was there, he moaned. When she went to bed I kissed her, for the last time, for the last, last time! And then he broke down utterly. I could get nothing further from him. When she went to bed he kissed her, what kind of riddle was here, in the midst of the horrible tragedy, that the hapless girl should have wished her parents good-night and retired to rest, and be found ruthlessly murdered a few hours afterwards in an open park at some distance from her house. With such joyful news as Mr. Melladew had to communicate to his daughter, the probability was that they had kept up later than usual, talking of the brighter future that then seemed spread before them it made the tragic riddle all the more difficult. There came a knock at the street door and a gentleman was admitted, upon most urgent business he said. It turned out that he was a newspaper reporter, who, in advance of the police, had tracked Mr. Melladew to my house, and had come to obtain information from him for his newspaper. I pointed out to him the condition of Mr. Melladew, and said something to the effect that it was scarcely decent to intrude upon him at such a time. The reporter, who evidently felt deeply for the bereaved father, and whose considerate manner was such as to completely disarm me, said aside to me, "'Pray do not think I am devoid of feeling. I am a father myself, and have a daughter of the age of his poor girl. My mission is not one of idle curiosity a ruthless murder has been committed, and the murderer is at large. I am not working only for my paper, I am assisting the cause of justice. Every scrap of information we can obtain will hasten the arrest of the wretch who has been guilty of a crime so diabolical.' "'He can tell you nothing,' I said, compelled to admit that he was right. Look at him, as he sits there, crushed and broken by the blow.' "'I pity him from my heart,' said the reporter can you assist me in any way? Did the poor girl live at home?" "'She lived at home, certainly. But she had employment at Madame Michel's, in Baker Street.' "'Madame Michel's, in Baker Street! I must go there. Did she sleep out?' "'No, she came home every night at half-past seven. "'Did she do so last night?' "'Yes.' "'Did she not go to some place of amusement?' "'Not to my knowledge.' Her father told me that before she went to bed he kissed her good-night. Do you know at what hour? I do not. But presumably not early. Not so early as usual, I should say, because her father had some good news to communicate to her, and they would stop up late talking of it. Understand, much of what I say is presumptive. But reasonable, said the reporter, did the poor girl have a sweetheart? words which Mr. Melladew had spoken on the previous night recurred to me here. There are so many scoundrels in the world ready with honeyed words to turn a girl's head, and it hurts me to think that they have their little secrets which they don't ask us to share. Did not this point to a secret which was hidden from her parents? I said nothing of this to the reporter, but answered that I was not aware that the poor girl had a sweetheart. "'Some one must have been in love with her,' said the reporter. Many, perhaps, I rejoined, but not one quartered her openly. I believe that is to her parents' knowledge. That counts for very little. She was a beautiful girl. How I exclaimed! Have you seen her? I saw her this morning. He answered gravely. Within the last two hours, she looked like an angel. Was there no trace of suffering in her face? I asked wistfully. None. She was stabbed to the heart. Only one sharp swift devilish blow, and death must have been instantaneous to my unprofessional eye, it almost seems as if she must have died in sleep in happy sleep. That at least is merciful. Hush, Mr. Melladew was rocking to and fro, murmuring, Oh, my lizzie, my darling child! Oh, my poor, poor lizzie we had spoken in low tones, and he evinced no consciousness of having heard what we said. During our conversation the reporter was jotting down notes unobtrusively. The conversation would doubtless have been continued had it not been for the appearance of other persons, following rapidly upon each other, policemen and additional reporters, who had discovered that Mr. Melladew was in my house the last to appear was mrs melladew who had heard rumours of the frightful crime and flew round to me not knowing that her husband was in the room what passed from that moment while all these persons were buzzing around me was so confusing that i cannot hope to give an intelligible transcript of it i was as it were in the background as one who had no immediate interest in the unravelling of the terrible mystery it was a most agitating time to me and my wife and when my visitors had all departed I felt like a man who had been afflicted by a horrible nightmare. How little did I imagine that the letter I had received by the early morning's post, and which I had in my pocket, was vitally connected with it, and that of all those present I was the man who was destined to bring the mystery to light! Before the day was over fresh surprises were in store for me in connection with the dreadful deed needless to say, that the whole neighbourhood was in a state of great excitement. So numerous were my idle visitors that I was compelled to tell my wife to admit into the house no person but the meladews or relatives of theirs. In the afternoon, however, one visitor called who would not be denied. He sent in his card, which bore the name of George Carton, and I said I would see him. He was a young man whose age I judged to be between twenty and twenty-five, well dressed and remarkably good-looking. His manners were those of one who was accustomed to move in good society, and both his speech and behaviour during the interview impressed me favourably. I observed when he entered the room that he was greatly agitated. I have intruded myself upon you, sir. He said, "Because I felt that I should go mad if I did not speak to some person who was a friend of," or he could not proceed, and I finished the sentence for him, of the poor girl who had been so cruelly murdered. He nodded his head, and when he could control his voice, said, "You were an intimate friend of hers, sir." Mister Melladew's family and mine, I replied, have been on terms of friendship for many years i have known the poor girl and her sister since their infancy i did not dare to call upon mr melladew he said and then he faltered again and paused are you acquainted with him i asked no he said but i hoped to be if i went now and told him what i wished to impart to you he might look upon me as responsible for what had occurred he put his hand over his eyes from which the tears were flowing what is it you wish to impart to me i inquired and why should you suppose you would be held responsible for so horrible a crime i scarcely know what i am saying he replied but my secret intimacy with lizzie i caught my breath at his familiar utterance of the name becoming known to him now for the first time might put wrong ideas into his head your secret intimacy with lizzie i exclaimed we have known each other for more than four months,' he said. "'Secretly?' "'Yes, secretly. And the poor girl's parents were not aware of it?' "'They were not. It was partly my poor Lizzie's wish, and partly my own, I think, until I was sure that I possessed her love. She kept it from me for a long time. "'Wait!' she used to say, smiling. Pardon me, sir, my heart seems as if it would break when I speak of her. Wait! she used to say i am not certain yet whether i really really love you but she did sir all along how do you know that i asked in doubt now whether i should regard him with favour or suspicion she confessed it to me last tuesday night as she walked home from baker street you were in the habit of meeting her then yes i beg you to believe me sir there was nothing wrong in it i loved and honoured her sincerely I wanted then to accompany her home, and ask her parents' permission to pay my addresses to her openly. But she said no, and that she would speak to them first herself. It was arranged so. She was to tell them to-night, and I was to call and see her father and mother to-morrow. And now—and now—' Again he paused, overpowered by grief. Presently he spoke again. "'See here, sir.' He detached a locket from his chain, and opened it, showed me the sweet and beautiful face of Lizzie Melladew. It was taken for me, he said, on Wednesday morning. She obtained permission from her employers for an hour's absence, and we went together to get it taken. The photographer hurried the picture on for me, I was so anxious for it. I had my picture taken for her, and put into a locket, which I was to give her to-morrow with this ring in the presence of her parents he produced both the locket and the ring. The locket was a handsome gold ornament set with pearls. The ring was a half-loop set with diamonds. The gifts were such as only a man in a good position could afford to give. I shall never be happy again, he said mournfully, as he replaced the locket on his chain, after gazing on the beautiful face with eyes of pitiful love. Were you in the habit of writing to her? I asked. No, sir no letters passed between us there was no need to write i saw her so often four or five times a week when father and mother know everything she said on tuesday night you shall write to me every day i promised that i would i am not sorry you confided in me i said completely won over by the young man's ingenuousness and undoubted sincerity but i can offer you no words of comfort you will have to make this known to others I shall do what is right, sir. It is not in your power, nor in any man's, to give me any comfort or consolation. The happiness of my life is destroyed, and there is still one thing left me, and I will not rest till it is accomplished. As God is my judge, I will not!' He did not give me time to ask his meaning, but continued, "'You can do me the greatest favour, sir.' "'What is it?' "'I must see Mary, her sister, sir.' can you send round to the house and ask her to come and see me here? She will come when she gets my message. Will you do this for me, sir?' "'Yes,' I replied. "'There is no harm in it.' I called my wife, and bade her go to Mr. Melladew's house, and contrive to see Mary Melladew privately, and give her the young man's message. During my wife's absence, George Carton and I exchanged but few words— he sat for the chief part of the time with his head resting on his hand, and I was busy thinking whether the information he had imparted to me would be likely to afford a clue to the discovery of the murderer. My wife returned with consternation depicted on her face. Mary is not at home, she said. Where has she gone? cried George Carton, starting up. To my astonishment, my wife replied, They are in the greatest trouble about her she has not been home all day.' "'Have they not seen anything of her?' I asked, also rising to my feet. "'No,' said my wife. "'They have seen nothing whatever of her.' "'Is it possible,' I exclaimed, that she can be still at her place of business, in ignorance of what has taken place?' "'No,' cried George Carton, in great excitement. "'She is not there. I have been to inquire she went out last night, and never returned. Great God! what can be the meaning of it?" I strove in vain to calm him. He paced the room with flashing eyes, muttering to himself words so wild that I could not arrive at the least understanding of them. "'Gone! gone!' he cried at last. But where, where? I will not sleep, I will not rest, till I find her, neither will i rest till i discover the murderer of my darling girl and when i discover him when he stands before me as there is a living god i will kill him with my own hands his passion was so intense that i feared he would there and then commit some act of violence and i made an endeavour to restrain and calm him by throwing my arms around him but he broke from me with a torrent of frantic words and rushed out of the house Here was another mystery added to the tragedy of the last few hours. What was to be the outcome of it? From what quarter was light to come? chapter three.